keep writing, even when you feel like whatever you're about to say may not be important. It's only with hindsight that you'll imbue it with meaning and you never know who else is going to read it, be inspired. It could even change their life. Welcome to Darken the Page, a podcast for lovers of writing and the creative process. And now, here's your host, Dave Buda. Welcome to Darken the Page. Today's episode is with Jesse Krieger. I just got off the phone with Jesse, and I want to point out one thing that you really, really have to listen to because we get into it about 20 minutes in, and I think it really has made a big effect on my mindset as a writer so far and i'm really excited to try this out um, jesse talks about one of the things that he's doing for his the book that he's currently writing which is he is getting on the phone with a friend of his that's an author and for 15 minutes a day they're essentially doing mini interviews with each other and recording it and then he sends it to a transcription service and that service you know turns it around in 24 hours and gives him a transcript of what they talked about. So, for example, he's writing a book about the uh, writing, the book writing process for business people and they have, he might get asked a question like, uh, talk about cover design. He'll talk about that for 15 minutes and then transcribe it. And I'm actually thinking, wow, this is a fantastic way to get ideas. And it could be anything. You could do this for fiction books. You could say, tell the story of this. And I find something we said was really, really true in that when I write, I'm I'm very meticulous and I go over every word, but when I speak, <laughs> I just speak and I don't edit. I don't mind putting in filler words or whatever. I just go and I just go. And so we talk about that halfway through and some other ideas and how uh, that's worked for him and, and some 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 really cool ways to spark the writing process. So definitely check that out. Go to darkenthepage.com slash 014 for links to a lot of the stuff we talked about. Well, yeah, we talked about a lot of um, references to books and even some podcasts at the end, that, that uh, one in particular that I really like called Hardcore History. And I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. So thanks for listening. If you could leave us a review on iTunes, I would really, really, really appreciate it. It would help uh, our rankings. So without further ado, here's the interview. So I'm here today with Jesse Krieger. Jesse and I just had a heart-to-heart as a lot of things in our past we have in common, and I'm really excited to jump in and talk to you today. Um, thanks for being on the show, and uh, yeah, man, appreciate you being a, a soul brother. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, Dave. I appreciate the invite, and you know, as I'm, I'm deep in the writing process now, I think it's a timely uh, occasion to to talk about writing. As uh, as we've experienced it, nice. Yeah, I always love talking about the writing process, especially as someone is deep in it. That was perfect. Um, mm. Tell me a little bit how you got to this point. So you know, this is a, right, your second book, yeah. And yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, man. Yeah, go ahead. Just tell me a little about where you, how how'd you get here. Sure. Like you know, for context, um, two just over two years ago, my first book, uh, Lifestyle Entrepreneur, came out in Southeast Asia originally, specifically Malaysia and Singapore, and then uh, expanded out from there in paperback only. And, oh. you know, at that point, it, uh, I had a good marketing and promotion effort through my publisher. And, uh, and really, that became a, a bestseller over in Asia. So sort of my first experience as a 
published author was getting to go do these book tours around the the area and seeing you know my face like on a twenty foot high poster at a book book fair with Chinese characters and stuff written around it. It was just nice. a trip. Nice. And uh, you know, eventually it came out uh, throughout the rest of the world. And now, you know, to to zoom up to today, I'm uh, I'm working on a book on how to create a book and use it as a business development tool, specifically how to have a book be sort of a, a foundation or a cornerstone for a book-based business and brand. Nice. Well, so why do you think you became big in Asia? Um, well, yeah, it's sort of, if you dial back the clock a little further, like, you know, part of my, my business history and, and life interests have uh, centered around Asia for about five years. I, I, uh, I got just I got the bug or something and I, I on my first trip to Shanghai in 2008 I was like wow you know this place exists look at everything that's going on and I started studying Chinese language um, I had founded a company that did wholesale USB flash drives for promotional uses so we had a, a number of manufacturers in South China and you know it was just sort of this integrated approach to like learning Chinese traveling over there for business and and even at the time, uh, I was also a, a dating coach on the side, so I was doing some boot camps and and stuff in the area. And you so doing that, that, that was in, sort of in China and Malaysia. That's where you were actually teaching. Uh, in Hong Kong, Singapore, and China was where I've done uh, a number of programs. Nice. Not in not in Malaysia, but, but some people, you know, if someone in Malaysia could just come down to Singapore for a program. For sure. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it makes me think of like bands that get big in Japan or something like that. You know, it's like <laughs> that's so funny, man. I there was a more than a few times when I wanted to get a shirt that said, you know, my book's big in Malaysia. It's yeah. sort of a play on words of my band's big in Japan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice, nice. So tell me about a little more about the book you're writing now, and it sounds like I love you know you're writing about the process too, which is fun. Yeah, it's this the idea for this book, which is tentatively titled "Your Big Idea." build a book-based business and brand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in that sense, I IDEA is actually an acronym or a, a framework that, uh, that, that runs throughout the book, standing for Ignite, Develop, Execute, and Accelerate, a best-selling book launch. Nice. And, you know, the idea for this book was born out of, um, you know, when I wrote my first book, Lifestyle Entrepreneur, it was more of a reflection on uh, about 10 years of entrepreneurship and wanting to sort of document my own process, approach, philosophy. After that came out, people were getting in touch with me, like, how can I build this type of a business, you know, basically an online business that lets you travel and have a fun lifestyle. And so I developed uh, different trainings and, and did coaching around the ideas in the book, and I realized, wow, I've built a, uh, you know, a, a six-figure book-based business, as it were. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of going forward from there and and in context, like I've always loved books and they've always been a big part of my life. I'm a voracious reader. So I thought, you know, I want to get more into publishing and, and really start to focus my next book on, uh, on establishing myself more as, you know, an author, publisher and, and entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. What was it about the first book that had you, like, what did you learn in, in writing and publishing the first book that had you say, wow, I'm excited and I want to write a second book and I want to do this again? Yeah, so in the I mean the writing process for for the first book was it was, it was sort of long, maybe six or seven months, um, yeah. and 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 truth be told, I, I actually wanted to just write the entire thing and do the layout and 
and learn how to do like InDesign and set up the, the format on each of the pages. So I really feel like I had, um, I guess now I, I call it an artisanal approach. Like I really wanted my hand, my, my fingerprints on every aspect of the book and the experience mm-hmm. people had when they, when they read it. And uh, I mean, the writing experience itself, uh, at many times it felt very solitary, but also enjoyable. But, you know, my, my experience of writing it was, say, sitting in a coffee shop in Taiwan with my iPad or, you know, plunking away on a, on a laptop somewhere else, piecing together the content of the chapters. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until it came out that it sort of switched gears and now it was much more of a public and a social experience to have it be done and now, you know, be the face and the voice for the ideas in the book. So mm-hmm. I became conscious of the, um, the interesting dynamic, which is being an author is, <laughs> is on this balance of, you know, having to go really deep inside yourself and, and wrestle with information and put, you know, put it down on paper and edit it and revise it until it feels right versus being able to do things like this, right? Get on mm-hmm. and, and discuss a process or, uh, teach, expand on the ideas in the book with with clients or to an audience, mm-hmm. and so I actually like both sides of that. Um, I think my personality lends itself well to periods of intense focus and you know creativity in isolated environments, mm-hmm. counterbalanced with a part of me definitely belongs on stage and in you know in a more public facing role in, in social environments. So yeah. It's it's a good way to to have both of those, uh, even if not at the same time. <laughs> nice, nice. So, tell me a little more specifics on what that looks like for you when you are in that like deep isolation writing mode. I mean, if we if we had like a video camera on you, what would we notice? Yeah, well, okay, I'll say two things. Like now, what you notice is a, is a daily, consistent practice to the to the greatest extent possible. I mean, mm-hmm. I. When I'm doing the the core of writing, the core creative work, um, my day sort of looks like you know, I get up maybe 6:30. I, I stretch it out. I do some exercise. I eat a healthy meal, and then I sit down and I just write. Maybe it's 500 words. Maybe it's a thousand words. Maybe it's more. Mm-hmm. But I I try and uh, I try and do it as the first you know real task of the day that requires thought before I get involved in anything else before I, I, I'm involved in other people's agendas or responding to email or mm-hmm. talking to it. Cause I, I find if I get into that headspace of, you know, managing and, and doing stuff business wise, that it's very hard to, to back off of that in the middle of the day and become, you know, creative and right. So yeah. I try and do it first thing in the morning. And then once I'm done, Hey, great. If nothing else happens, I at least got down some content for the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what it looks like now. Previously, it was I, on the first book. It was more scattershot, where you know, sometimes I'd write a lot for a week, and then maybe a couple of weeks would go by, and then I'd be like, I know what other section needs to be in there. It was it was less um, less of an organized process and more of ad hoc, knowing that I did want to get it done, but kind of figuring out how the book was going to take shape and 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 what it would ultimately be like in during the writing process. So nice, nice. Now, so I. One of the things I like um, about what you've got going on is is the lifestyle entrepreneur thing because I think that resonates with me the most. I had heard once, and this is something that I'm guessing you had heard too, and, that there are, I think, like, what, three different types of entrepreneurs, like the lifestyle entrepreneur, the serial entrepreneur, and, like, the, you know, social entrepreneur, or like, activist entrepreneur, right? 
And to me, the lifestyle totally resonates because I, I, I ultimately I'm just really con- I'm really concerned about not concerned, but interested in a high quality of life for myself. And I want to make that a priority. Um, mm. So tell me a little bit how if this is like kind of lifestyle writer entrepreneur, um, how do you how do you balance the lifestyle that that you've definitely like crafted? How do you balance that with the writing and getting done what you need to get done as a writer? Mm. It's a good question. And I think, you know, uh, with hindsight, right, you have have 2020 vision. But when I was writing my first book, I wasn't, it wasn't in my mind to fully become like, you know, a full-time author and somebody that does publishing and trains people on how to do book stuff. It was more of coming out of, you know, years of, of, of entrepreneurship and sort of doing it in a way where I could, I really, it, it, you know, it was really a, a value of mine to be able to travel uh, specifically internationally and learn languages and, and make friends in other parts of the world. So I, I just sort of had adapted my approach to business to, to complement that. And then that's what I ultimately wrote about. Mm-hmm. And now on the other side of that coin, you know, now being an author and having a lot of, um, I guess, exposure and, and people meet me and they think of me and, and the first time we meet as, you know, an author as opposed to somebody that had done a specific type of business. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I guess uh, <laughs> I might have jumped the shark and lost <laughs> lost the actual question there. But yeah, I mean, but, but, I think it's, you know, what are some maybe some some pitfalls or some you know, wisdom that you've learned about how to maintain. Cause to me, I guess the lifestyle entrepreneur, you know, to me is about, you know, is about really making the, your happiness and the quality of your life more of a priority than the, than the monetary success of yeah, your business. Okay. Is that kind of where I'm, yeah. are we on the same page there? Yeah. No, no, I, I yeah. feel you. And so, yeah, here's my perspective on that. It's like, you know, I, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is sort of ground zero for uh, the technology industry, venture-backed startups, etc. And yeah. I, I see lifestyle entrepreneurship as uh, a different approach than the kind of entrepreneurship that takes place there. Like, I think you have a different set of priorities, a different set of responsibilities. If you're thinking of starting a business as, okay, I'm going to raise a seed round. I'm going to get angel investors. I'm going to hire a team. We're going to, you know, scale quickly. We're going to grow as fast as we can and try and get acquired. That be- that is a lifestyle for sure. You're going to be doing like 14 hour days and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's definitely entrepreneurship, but it's different than saying, okay, how can I have a business that, you know, I can sort of crank it up and do more work uh, if I need money or I can, you know, sort of set it up in a way where I'm selling something that, has a as that can you know I can make money even if I'm not showing up necessarily like having an information product or an online training mm-hmm. that's being promoted so that that lifestyle entrepreneurship is you know how to just structure a business that really the main criteria is that it doesn't matter where you are as the entrepreneur it doesn't matter where you are in the world it just matters that you have a systems based business and processes in place and you know support if needed or a team that allows it to function wherever you may happen to be. Mm-hmm. And that's a, such an interesting distinction because then it allows for extended travel or you know, going off the grid or you can shape your lifestyle. Uh, it can play. I, I always thought of it as like two strands of DNA. You, know? mm-hmm. you have the lifestyle and then the, the 
generating income component, mm-hmm. and they dance with each other, right? So when I had my, for example, when I had my USB business in in Asia, right, is it a lifestyle choice or is it a business decision to go travel around Asia and do fun things, hang out with people, and then you know sometimes visit a factory or sometimes visit a sourcing agent and you know work on the business ad hoc, but also be doing enjoyable things, you know, day to day. Yeah. So it, it blurs the line and that's, and rather than even blurring the line, I think it's a, an integrated approach of sort of looking at what you want to explore from a place of interests and, and personal passions and then overlaying that with generating income or at least supporting uh, whatever adventure you have, you know, in kind. Mm-hmm. And when I say in kind, I mean, there, there's so many times when you know, somebody's put me up for a week and then I just sort of coach them and help them with a business idea they've been working on. So there's even non-monetary ways of, of using, for example, my, my brain and my experience with entrepreneurship to have cool new adventures and, and do fun things that are interesting from a personal uh, lifestyle perspective, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, is that different from your, your experience? I know that you're over in Bali, which is very lifestyle entrepreneurish. Yeah, and, I think everybody yeah, here place is, that I love. Yeah, everybody <laughs> here is 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 that in in some way. Um, yeah, you know, for me, it's it's like I I I see what I see something like what you described in San Francisco and the fourteen hour days and and that's cool. Uh, it's just not exciting, you know, as much <laughs> to do to do something that's going to be all consuming and. And, you know, the truth is there are times in my work life where I want to be all consumed. You know, I mean, I I worked a 12 hour day the other day and I and I, at the end of it, I felt really great. I felt very used up, but mm. I don't that, I want that to be my choice. I want that to be something that, that happens from inspiration instead of like, oh, crap, like, you know, now I'm like behind on I have to launch something. And 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 so I really you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm like, I'm so stubborn. I think this what this is comes from. I just <laughs> really don't want to do anything that I'm not inspired to do. And, and I'm, mm. and I'm almost, I'm almost uh, like, that's stubborn to a fault because I, I end up not necessarily like putting up the kind of numbers that other people might, you know, or I might just leave a project if I'm not interested in it, but maybe it was going to make, you know, some money or maybe it was going to, mm-hmm. And I just, I'm just not interested in anything that's not going to be exciting and, and certainly not something that's going to trap me into years and years. I just sold a house. Um, oh, nice. And <laughs> I had it for five years, and I'm writing this article called Why I'm Never, Ever, Ever Buying a House Again. Because um, <laughs> for me, I was like, it was the, the opposite of what I wanted, you know, in a way. And I'm not saying it's just not for anybody. It's just... For me, as someone who really values my freedom, um, my fluidity—not just you know, not just with time, but financially—all mm-hmm. the my you know that was just a that was not a good decision for me because mm-hmm. you know I just had to dump you know hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars into the house that I didn't plan on, and I'm not—it doesn't excite me too much to just be fixing a house up all day. Although mm-hmm. you know parts of it were fun, it, it's just not my jam. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, someone I can relate to right, for, sure, right. for sure. Yeah, I, I've, I've, it's funny. When you say that, I, I think of some of the internal dialogues that I have. I, I've, I've gotten to know myself pretty well to think, to say I have like shiny object syndrome. 
Like I'll get excited about five different things, uh-huh. and my inclination is okay. I'm excited about it. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna dive in. I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna learn more. I'm gonna pursue it. But I find that that becomes uh, there's diminishing returns I've found from taking on too many projects and or spreading myself thin. So I find my challenge is if I get interested in something and it looks like a good opportunity and I am passionate and engaged, it's like a race against time to build something or do something that can endure beyond the point when I get interested in something else. <laughs> totally. So oh, I a, totally know what you, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I had so this. It's like if I get yeah. excited about something, I can, I'll hustle. I'm not afraid to work. Uh, but like you said, you know, it's nice to know that it's that it's optional and I can sort of if I'm feeling it, if I'm feeling good, great. I can do stuff for another 8 hours, right? Or if not, maybe I just want to decompress and and chill and and relax and just, you know, manage a few basic things for a couple of days. It's nice to have that option and Totally, and, and now that and now that uh, that's a reality for me, it's it's great. I'm a very optimistic uh, person, but I know that I'd wither in an environment where there was you know more rigid expectations, or that if, if I felt trapped or, or obligated to do things that were going against that creative pulse that that flows through me. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Something you said reminded me of a conversation I had recently with a guy named Demir who, who was on the show too, and he's helping me with this book I'm writing. And I said, Amir, man, I, I think I have this 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 notion of a a window of opportunity with myself because I do just I like get interested in different things and then I get excited about another book idea and and I feel like this book is is still in the window because I'm still excited about it, but I'm 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 kind of scared that it's gonna leave the window before I finish it because that's <laughs> been the case with a couple other books that I've done in the past where they got halfway there or two thirds the way there. And it just, you know, for example, like we talked about doing the, the dating coach and the, you know, that kind of stuff. So I had, I had been really into men's work and I wrote, I was writing a book called the male blueprint. Cause I was really, I had discovered so much stuff about what it means to be a man. And I wanted to share that. And then that window just kind of closed all of a sudden. And I wasn't, and it wasn't as exciting for me anymore. And I was like, Oh man, but and I don't honestly regret not having written the book in a way because I, I do see that we're, you know, moving through that and it really served me. But yeah, I have this like fear of, of the shiny object fear, which is this idea yeah. that I'm just going to get. And so it, there is a little race and there's almost yeah. like a race, you know, to finish or to, to strike <laughs> while the iron's hot in a way. It's, oh man, it's such a great topic to, to broach. It, it, and yeah, I, I'm real talk. Like I'm actually experiencing that uh, right now. Like I'll tell you, you know, we talked about my approach to writing lifestyle entrepreneurs different. But let me tell you how I've been going about this book. Is like yeah. I was doing training. Uh, I was helping a, a lot of people get books done and do book launches. So I sort of was developing this process uh, in in the course of working with clients. And so then, you know, starting to write the book was really sort of documenting that process and making it mm-hmm. sort of how to mm-hmm. and. And and I knew that uh, I didn't want to put in the amount of time it took me to write lifestyle entrepreneur. So I tried this other approach of, uh, you know, I, I wrote an outline uh, based on you know idea, ignite, develop, execute, and accelerate. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote uh, like one paragraph description of you know what what is a total of twenty chapters, right? So it's a you know four or five page document mm-hmm. that basically outlines the book. Then I got I scheduled calls every day with a writer friend of mine, and we do fifteen minute topical interviews. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we jump on, on Skype and, uh, and it's okay. 
here's, I just copy and paste the little paragraph description of the chapter. And then I'd say, just ask me, you know, one or two leading questions and let me talk about this and, and get it recorded. Nice. And I found that was very high leverage because uh, I'm, a, I'm a guy that um, I, I can be a perfectionist if I'm actually typing something because I'm like committing it or as you would say, darkening the page. Totally, totally, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I can talk extemporaneously on something that I know about. <laughs> and what I say is, you know, I'll just say anything, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, so it's like, so, I'd re, so, so here's, here was my process, and maybe, you know, some of your listeners will find this useful. Every day we get on, and for 15 minutes, I talk about one topic, one chapter, effectively. Nice. And uh, in, in that 15 minutes of audio, I had a transcriptionist that would turn, turn around transcriptions overnight. So I talk for 15 minutes, I'd, I'd send off that audio file. The next day, I get seven to nine pages of text back. So I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I'm banging out 2,000, 2,500 words a day uh -huh. by doing a 15 minute or so just sort of monologue, prompted yeah. monologue. And uh, so, anyways, when I said, like, I'm, I'm running up against that, that window of uh, that window of closing in terms of how passionate I am about working on this thing every day. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, God, now that I'm editing the transcripts and you know, writing it the way I really want it said, I can feel my enthusiasm wane a little bit. So I'm just today thinking like, I need to get some support or, or, or something else so that this gets seen through to completion and I stay focused on my, my areas of highest leverage and, and growth. So, so I started reaching out to you know, a co-author, co not a co-author, but like a, a, edit, a copy editor slash I guess ghostwriter yeah. to work with the the transcripts and based on the stuff that I had already put my personal touch on to see if somebody else can adapt the rest of those transcripts and outlines into my own voice and style and then I'll put the very finishing touches on them. Yeah. So that's that's like my approach on this one because uh, unlike lifestyle entrepreneur which is like part personal statement and part how to and part inspiration this is a, a process focused book. This is like a book for somebody that's got a book idea or has started writing a book and wants to just take it all the way through to finishing it, getting a great cover designed, learning the publishing aspect, setting up a book launch, and then and then launching the book and getting clients or business as a result of it. So it's pretty clear to me what the focus is for this book and and so I'm just figuring out any way I can to to get it done and mm -hmm. still stay focused in my in my sweet spot or my area of you know, is sort of our area of genius as an as an entrepreneur, which shifts from time to time. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea of doing fifteen minute uh, mini interviews and then transcribing it um, and bringing that in. That that really makes a lot of sense. And and I and I actually one of the things I really took away from what you said was this. Yeah, the difference between how much of a perfectionist I am with writing versus speaking, because mm -hmm. it, it is like night and day. I mean, with my writing, I. I will go over every word sometimes and I love that's <laughs> part of what I love about the writing process is getting to examine exactly what I'm saying just down to the word. Yes. And it's the complete opposite with speaking and and sometimes that's I mean I guess that's pretty common for most people but, but with speaking it's it is it's just it's no filter it's just go go go. And so that's a really fun thing to play with is the juxtaposition of those two. I, I would be very interested to see, you know, what your experience is if you if you try that out, being you know a, a free speaker as you as you put it. Yeah. I tell you one thing I noticed, Dave, is um, it, that I try to do it alone, 
and, and it didn't work. I, meaning I tried to pull up that same paragraph for the outline, the chapter outline, yeah, turn on a mic and just yeah. talk, and it didn't work. Yeah. So I found that having this dual, I, I interviewed my other author friend for 15 minutes, and he'd do me, and we did each other the favor of um, just being an audience of one because you know, all he would say is, you know, tell me about designing a cover, Jesse. And then I just talked for 15 minutes, right? Yeah. And it was good. But if I just sat there in a room by myself, I was like, okay, time to talk about designing a cover. I wouldn't have the same flow. Yeah, totally different. Yeah, yeah. So I, that, that was one process point that I noticed in, in, in doing that. That's a really good point. Um, tell me a little more about that process. So you sent it, uh, just for some people that say, oh, I want to try this and they have no idea um, what's the sure. transcription service you use. Do you record it? Uh, you just use Skype, maybe call recorder, or what do you do? Here, here it is, front to back. It's, uh, uh, it's no secret. It's, so to start with, right, to, to put down an outline slash table of contents, I really think of it as developing some type of a content framework, meaning what is the skeleton that you're going to hang all of the words on? What's the, the, the wireframe or the, you know, the steel support structure that you're going to build mm-hmm. on? So once you've got that, that's almost half the battle because now you know what, so an example of that is like idea, right? Ignite, develop, execute, accelerate a book launch. It's just clear that there's four sections to the main content of the book, and then there's you know four or five subchapters in each of those sections. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's useful to look at some type of a content framework. Maybe it's an acronym, or maybe it's um, you know so, it's something like the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is a different device where. Oh, there's seven habits. So guess what? There's seven main chapters, and you know, what are you going to say about each of those habits? That becomes the the overview. So mm-hmm. then, once you've got something like that, then it's just grabbing one topic at a time and having a, a friend or a fellow author queue it up for you. I use just Skype, and I use Call Recorder. Uh, gets great, uh, captures the the audio just fine. Yeah. And then uh, then I just hired uh, somebody on Elance.com. Uh, which is a talent platform where you can hire people that do all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just posted a job saying, "Hey, I need a transcriber for daily um, transcription work," you know, and just qualified a few people and then did a test with two or three, and then found one that we had a good, you know, she was consistent. And mm-hmm. then, uh, then it was very easy at that point with the with that system in place. I knew every day I've got my call scheduled with the author, and then I immediately. Uh, upload that to the transcriber, and then I go and do something else. Uh, by the time the next day rolls around, I've got my my 2,000, 2,500 words back, right? So I save that as a, a chapter file, mm-hmm. and then jump on the next interview and and keep pressing forward like that. And just to, to give some specifics, you know, I was paying maybe 12 to 15 dollars per uh, per chapter transcription, and you could find it cheaper, but at the end of the day, whatever. So I paid 250, 300 bucks to get like 40,000 words of content taken from my voice to text on a page that's arranged with you know little section headers and stuff. So it's it's not just a huge chunk of text. I told her, look, you know, if you hear me talking about a different topic, you know, bold the text and and start a new paragraph or something like that. Nice. Yeah, that's helpful. And and what do you find is your work once you get that text back? Do you have to kind of pull out the good stuff or do you have to like maybe edit the words to make it sound do you have, do you leave it in the same kind of tone what do you do 
Yeah, well, I'll tell you something very funny, uh, or at least it's author humor for, for me, is mm-hmm. as, so I did, I had 20 of these chapters, right? And by the time I was on number six or seven, I was speaking with the intent of knowing, okay, how is this going to sort of look and flow on paper nice. after having seen the transcriptions from the first ones come back. And so, so honestly, they keep getting better and better, meaning that they require less editing on the back end from me because I was sort of speaking it uh, as cogently and clearly as I could on the front end. Oh, nice. So it was a funny thing that, I mean, it's a benefit for any author, any creative person, you know, that repetition and that constant iteration and just getting little subtle improvements on each, each time you sit down to create or write, uh, it adds up, right? It compounds. And so by, you know, the final few chapters, I, I feel like they're pretty darn good, just uh, almost, you know, straight from the transcriptionist. Nice. But what do I actually do? Yeah, I go through, I mean, what I started doing is going through myself, reading it, making notes. Uh, I, I actually, before I even did that, I just hired a, a, an editor for like, you know, 80 bucks to take all those separate documents and create one master doc with a linkable table of contents. So then I had the very first, very first rough draft of the book nice. as one file, you know, instead of a collection of 20 different documents. Yeah. So I knew that that would be, that would help me uh, instead of spending time compiling it and trying to do all that stuff, which is totally uninteresting to just hire someone to present it back to me as, okay, here's the, the first rough draft of the manuscript. Yeah. Yeah. And then going through and, and just adding stuff, editing, rephrasing something, taking notes to myself. But that's the part I'm starting to lose steam on. So, I'm, so now I'm uh, looking for some, I'm bringing in somebody else potentially to help me take it across the finish line. Yeah. I'm glad that it, you found that it got better as you did more recordings. I, I thought what maybe you were going to say was, as you started getting it in your head that this is going to be a book, it started becoming more contrived <laughs> and then, then it, it, you lost the, the magic of it. So I'm glad to hear that it actually went in the opposite direction that it just Yo, yes, felt quite clearer. the opposite. Nice. Well, fortunately, because, uh, well, and, and, and it makes logical sense too, because by the time you're on chapter 10, right now we're halfway through the book ish. Mm-hmm. And I can say when I'm just speaking into the, to the interview, I can say it, it's like we talked about in chapter four when we looked at getting your cover design, et cetera. So, so I could actually reference back to, uh, to previous topics in the course of delivering my sort of monologue or my interview that's going to be transcribed. Nice. Uh, so once you've got some stuff down, then it, it be, you can even be self-referential in the later interviews. So it's something I encourage uh, authors to try because it may, it may hit a sweet spot for you to be even more creative uh, and and churn good content out faster. Nice. What are some questions you really like asking uh, or being asked from your friend uh, to really pull out some great content? I, I would say, in all honesty, that the questions were not very important. Meaning, you know, I had a, maybe a four or five sentence, uh, one paragraph outline of what that chapter was going to cover. And I really just needed somebody to be there on the other end of the microphone uh, and so that I could speak knowing that there was an audience or somebody was listening. Nice. And so the, quest- the questions he asked, uh, I mean, I pulled them all out of the transcript. So it's not like there's any Q&A. It's more of a narrative. Okay. And I just wanted, him to, just wanted him to get me started. Now, sometimes when I was talking, if I made a point or, or brought up an idea that he liked or that he resonated with, 
then we'd talk about it a little, um, or he'd ask a follow-up question that wasn't, you know, prompted. So there was a little bit of organic aspect to it, uh-huh. but it was pretty focused on like, uh, you know, just just covering three main points within that chapter, asking them as a question. So yeah, like tell me I'll, what I'll you, you want to say about this or something. Something yeah. like that, right? So if so, for I'll give you a concrete example for uh, for the cover design um, chapter. I, I felt like there's you know sort of three main considerations for a good cover, which is you know, the title itself and how it's positioned and styled, an illustrative image that, you know, suggests to somebody who's casually browsing in a bookstore or online what the book's going to be about from a visual perspective, and then how the the subtitle uh, expands on the promise of the title of the book and where that's placed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically I was like, just ask me, you know, these three questions, you know, what, what are the most important aspects of a cover design? Okay, I'll talk. And he was like, okay, tell me, you know, what are the things you should be aware of when choosing an illustration for your cover? Okay, great. Now I can talk about that. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be like, now tell me how a subtitle, you know, should expand on the title of the book and, you know, what are some useful ways to come up with subtitle ideas? Mm-hmm. And then I could talk about that. So nice. So, th- so that's just sort of an example of what one of our conversations would have looked like. Nice, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, I so appreciate that. I'm, I'm probably going to try that. I, you know, one of the coolest things about this show is that I, I really do, um, like, even if I, even if I just had all these interviews and and did them live and never recorded them and never published them, it would be way worth my time, um, just for what I get <laughs> out of it. And I so I totally appreciate that. Seriously, man, I was just thinking like this is definitely the most process focused uh, interview I've done. I do. I find myself doing a lot of media, mostly to get the word out about my book and the ideas in the book. But this yeah. is, it's very cool to dive in and you know, talk to other authors about the creative and writing process. Yeah. You've got to have, you must have a wealth of information from, you know, from running the show. Yeah, I have so many ideas. And, with the, and not only that, but my creative output has definitely increased. I mean, it's been about two months since I started doing these interviews. So that's increased. Um, I've got... Um, yeah, so it, it's really interesting, and and I think in a way that this is, this is the most selfish podcast I could do. I mean, this is <laughs> truly I'm 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 just doing something that benefits me, and then sharing it. And and how I knew that I wanted to talk about this was whenever I heard writers or authors uh, on interviews, my favorite question was always the one about their process, which would usually just be like five or ten minutes, and then they'd get back to like pitching their book. And I'm always like, man, I want, I want to hear more about that. Like you write, you know, your with your cat on your shoulder, um, in a, in a park <laughs> and that works for you. And, and what, you know, it's so, it was, what was really fascinating to me to hear about what people were doing to evoke this thing called creativity and magic and art. And, and so that was, that was really the whole premise for it. I just wanted mm. to like really get into it because it was always the most fascinating question for me. I, I'm gonna. I feel you, man. I I feel very similar. That's always what I gravitate towards. Is I guess either the under. I I look at it as either the blueprint or the, you know the underlying strategy. Those are the things that are that make me really curious. Yeah, and I think it makes uh, me want to read. That, yeah, it makes me want to read the author's books too. It like, really brings me. There's something about that that makes me really mm-hmm. interested in them as a writer, and I want to start following mm-hmm. them and 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 checking them out too. Yeah. 
Well, that was the fun, just going back to, you know, to my first book, Lifestyle Entrepreneur, part of the fun part about writing that was, I actually was, that book was written across maybe five or six different countries. Nice. So when I look back at it, and some of them are stories about the country or business I did, I've done there or whatever. And so it was kind of cool, a different creative process of actually, you know, writing on location, but still within the, the container of, you know, a book for aspiring entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. It's fun, very different than, you know, having a very routinized approach, like I just described, of getting up every day for about a month and doing an interview based on an outline. Mm-hmm. That, that, that wasn't a, a, an adventure in terms of I wasn't on a different location every day or I wasn't in a different country mm-hmm. creating that, those chapters. So, so I guess it's just, you know, a, 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 I enjoyed having a cr- totally different approach to a second book because it keeps it interesting for me too. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any other sort of innovative ideas that you've implemented, maybe stuff that's worked or hasn't worked when it comes to writing these books or just writing in general? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, you know, the writing a book is certainly one type of writing. I also find myself writing for many other purposes. So whether that's website, copy, uh, I do a lot with, you know, email Mm-hmm. Um, I, I communicate. I have a, a list that you know I write to maybe a few times a week, mm-hmm. and um, and what else? So I guess those are two of the other main outlets. And then uh, with clients and how I write feedback and stuff. But I, but but it is different to write for different uh, situations, different contexts, mm-hmm. and I guess I find that the the hurdle for me isn't so much you know, what am I going to say or how do I want to say something? It's crossing the threshold of going from whatever I'm doing to actually sitting down and tuning in and and just really getting in touch with uh, and actually writing or actually doing the writing process. Once I start, then I get a momentum and I'll, and I'll create something good. But, uh, but there's, yeah, have you ever read that book, The War of Art? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, word. I just, I just read that one. And I'd heard about it for a while, but reading it was was illuminating because I was like, ah, now I know the name for why every reason or excuse I've ever had is just basically this resistance to entering into the creative side of your of your brain, uh-huh. or, yeah. or or yeah, actually the act of creating. So I guess if anything, what I'm saying is, you know, part of the most difficult thing of being an author or being somebody that does a lot of writing is I think of it as like mental jujitsu of how do I just put myself into the position where now I'm creating, now I'm writing. Mm-hmm. And then once I'm there, usually, you know, something good ends up coming out. Yeah. It's really funny because, you know, uh, in a way to that, that statement even throws me off a lot of times, which is the now I'm creating, now I'm writing thought. So mm-hmm. I notice, let's say I'm writing an email or I'm just doing a Facebook poster. So I'm writing and it's, and it's writing for influence. So I'm, I, but I don't think of it as writing because I'm not pulling up a Word document or writing a chapter in a book. And so sometimes that stuff actually flows much easier. And, and mm-hmm. one of the prompts that I'll use in my head sometimes is, what if this were a Facebook post? Or what if this were an email to a client? What would I say about this topic? And then that opens things up because now I'm not writing. Now I'm not mm-hmm. a writer. Now I'm just a dude putting words mm-hmm. on a page. And and it's funny how the different that, you know, the different. And I noticed this with 
with um, with the right with whatever I'm writing on. So I like writing in Evernote recently, and that's been kind of a new thing that doesn't feel like writing. It just feels like writing notes, you know. But for whatever reason, Microsoft Word totally messes me up. Like I don't Microsoft Word is like the devil. I just look at it and I go, Oh no, I'm writing, you know. And so <laughs> it's really strange. Yeah. Yes, I know that feeling too. I, I haven't written into Evernote per se, but um, but that might be something worth trying. I do sometimes. I'll do a little ad hoc. Like if I'm out, I'll just pull out. I'll create a note on my phone and write out a short idea that that I can develop later. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree. Looking, I mean, there's nothing more daunting than opening up a a new Word document and yeah. <laughs> right and looking at a blank paper and saying, "Okay, let's write something." Yeah, it's <laughs> the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you said you're an avid, uh, voracious reader. Tell me about some of the books that you've been reading lately that have inspired your well, writing. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I well, the the War of Art was was great, and as you know, I know I've heard about that book for ages. A lot of people sort of swear by it. It's very sh- simple and short. Uh, yeah. The main ideas are pretty easy to convey, but he fleshes them out and presents them in different ways. It's all about beating the resistance and actually doing the work, which is creating or writing. Yeah. And uh, and answering that call, so that that's one. Uh, separately, I've recently read Tony Robbins' latest book called Money Master the Game, yeah. which uh, is completely different. But God, that book lit a fire under my butt to uh, to be more long, have a, have a, a longer term view about how I think about and, and work with finances, hmm. um, especially <laughs> from you know the last. 10 years, my main criteria was, do I have enough money to do the adventurous thing that I want to do? Yes. Okay. Time for an adventure. And now I'm thinking a little bit more about, okay, you know, how can I plan for something 25, 30 years out and create a a good financial situation for myself and my future? But the way he wrote that book is, is, you know, I think it was very relevant to the book I'm writing, which is a process book that, uh, that leads into you know, additional training and support if you if you want to make the ideas in that book real. He really went above and beyond to create some great resources that he points to throughout the book uh, for people to get more insight into their financial situation or nice. plan a great retirement thing. He's created specific deals with other financial institutions uh, specifically for his readers. So it was interesting how that book itself is is very much more than just a book. And, I, uh, and and a yeah. third one, if I may, yeah, yeah, totally separate than those other two. I am loving reading the travels of Marco Polo, huh. uh, which was you know everybody knows the name Marco Polo, yeah, right? Yeah. But Marco Polo is <laughs> actually a real was, person. Uh, what are you saying? <laughs> exactly, yeah, right? Course, yeah. He's, is a, a son of a Venetian merchant in 1270 A.D. Mm-hmm. One of the first, if if not only, you know, sort of Westerners, quote unquote to really travel and document the Orient and the Far East, the Mongol Empire, long before, you know, even, you know, Columbus sailed to America. So you get this interesting historical perspective of life seven, eight hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Some of it's fantastical and there's you know, a lot of debates on the veracity of some of the stuff he says, but if nothing else, it's just interesting yeah. and, a, and a fun travel adventure read. Nice. Nice. Yeah. When you said travel adventure read, I thought of a book that I had read, I think, just as I had left. I did a three-month bicycle trip through Europe, and um, <laughs> nice. I read a book that, that is not really that well-known, but it's 
uh, called Travels by Michael Crichton, and it's it's basically his travel memoirs, and he was a big traveler and also a, a traveler in a way that he did you know stuff outside the maybe like Western Europe and kind of like the safe traveling. Um, mm. And it's an awesome book called Travels by Michael Crichton. Um, and Michael of course, Crichton he's is that didn't Jurassic yeah, Park? We're, we're, yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he's, I mean, he's just an amazing writer. So everything he writes is captivating. I mean, and it's I'm sure he exaggerates a little bit because he's a great storyteller. Um, but it was so awesome. Loved that book and really, really I'm, inspired yeah, me to travel. Yeah, I'm going to take that down. Yeah, it's, it was funny. I started reading uh, Marco Polo the first time when I was I was living in Beijing for a summer and. Uh, and and actually, the the city of Beijing now used to be the seat of the Mongol Empire, and so there was this great historical overlay of hey, I'm living in Beijing, and by the yeah. way, 700 years ago, Kublai Khan was chilling at the Summer Palace. Yeah, and uh, so so reading it there, I, I, stuff like that just gets me, you know, to, to have those multiple layers of meaning uh, within a book and while you're reading a book. Do, so I have to ask now, but I love the Mongol Empire. Have you, are you a fan of hardcore history and listening to that series? Uh, well, I watched the Netflix series, which reignited my interest. Oh, my God. Interest. But, uh, but what did you have in mind? <laughs> so there's a podcast called Hardcore History by a guy named Dan Carlin. This is going to be your new favorite thing, I swear. This okay, is, I'm writing it down. All right, so hard, <laughs> Hardcore History... And he has, he's basically a, he's not a historian, he says. He's just a history fanatic who tells the stories of these times. And he does a five-part series on what he calls Wrath of the Khans. So it's the Mongol Mm. Empire from Genghis Khan to like his fourth descendant. And he, it's about, I say each episode is like two or three hours. So the whole thing is about 10 or 12 hours of audio on the Mongol empire. And it is the most fascinating thing. Like I literally, I would just get in my car for no good reason, just to drive places to listen to this thing because it's so good. He does another series on world war one that it's just finishing up now. Um, called blueprint for Armageddon. And it's, it's basically like he just did. It takes him forever to do these episodes because it's each one is like an entire audio book. But wow. it's so freaking good, and I'm so there. You'll, I'm gonna, you'll love it. Yeah, I've, good, good it's tip, man. My 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 number one thing I recommended in the last year or so, um, and it's also just so life enriching. I mean, it's it is such a pleasure to listen to something that that I'm learning a lot from. Uh, I'll give you another qu- quick plug because I also want everybody else to listen to this too. The way <laughs> okay. he starts the the um, the episode with the Mongols is. He says, I've got a great idea for a book and it would not be very popular and it would probably be 500 years ahead of its time. And the book would be something to the effect of the positive effects of Nazi Germany on the world. Oh, my gosh. And the reason he says that is he says, we're going to be talking about Genghis Khan, who was in the 1200s. And Genghis Khan was a son of a bitch. I mean, the guy was, you know, he was a mass murderer. I think the Mongols as a whole killed like 20 million people or something ridiculous. Yeah, they just leveled the 20 million people today would be a massive amount. 1,200, 20 million people is just unfathomable. And he said, but, but, you know, as Joseph Stalin said, you know, a million deaths is a statistic and one death is a tragedy. Wow. You know, and so we don't we, we can't even fathom what 20 million deaths and what Genghis Khan did. But now we're just like, oh, look at all the great stuff that happened that he did, you know. And and so he really takes people back to what it was like to live in the Mongol Empire. And uh, it's fascinating stuff. So 
That is, and I mean, as I'm reading that uh, the book, you you sort of see. I mean, one, the Mongol Empire was huge, yeah. huge. Yeah. You know, and 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 a couple times it abutted up against you know Central Europe, and there was like two different times when one of the Khans died and then they pulled back. Yeah. But there, there was yeah. a very real possibility that they could have conquered all the way through to you know modern day Portugal. And that would have been, a, you know, a different experience of history, right? Yeah. If everybody they had actually be Asian. overrun be the Asian, yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's just, uh, yeah, little things like that I find so fascinating. So yeah. Yeah. Definitely nice. going to check out hardcore history. Yeah, that'll be your new gem. Um, okay, so last question. Though, take it back to the frightening. I knew we'd get sidetracked a little bit. Um, <laughs> if you could turn back the clock and meet yourself as a, let's just call whenever you began writing books or, or really took writing somewhat seriously. And even that's kind of a funny idea. Um, if you could just slip yourself a note and you'd sit down at your desk and read this note, um, what would it say? It would say I'd, I, so I'd slip it to me at 15. Nice. And, and I'd say, cause I, then I, I journaled fastidiously, uh, and I wrote, you know, poetry or things that became song lyrics. Just wrote about stuff that happened in life. And so, I'd, if I got a note from uh, from t- 2015 Jesse when I was 15, it'd say, "Keep writing, even when you feel like whatever you're about to say may not be important, because it's only with hindsight that you'll imbue it with meaning, and you never know who else is going to read it, be inspired." could even change their life so just keep writing even if what you think you're going to say is inconsequential at the time nice yeah that's beautiful man thanks man that's it's funny i it's a good question because you know, have you heard of this program called outward bound yeah i have uh, you like go out into the wilderness for three weeks and they do this thing when you're you do a solo. So I, I spent three days by myself in a, in a valley in the Sierra Nevadas. And they say, sometime on this solo, write yourself a note. And then they actually mail it to you six months later, long after you've reintegrated with life and you're caught up in whatever's going on day to day. And you get a letter from yourself from sitting alone in the middle of the mountains. Nice. And it's just, it's, it's very much like you just said, but you know, less, less time elapsing between you know, then and now. Yeah. Yeah, I would, you know, I'm, my wife and I don't have kids and we're at this point, maybe not going to do kids, but there are all these little moments that I wish I could like, there are some these parenting moments that would be so much fun. And I just thought of another one, which is like, have my kids write notes to their future selves, but have it be from like five years old or 10 years old and then wait like 20 years <laughs> to send it. Like, can you imagine getting a note right now from your 10 year old self? Be I'd it, love that. <laughs> insane. But, uh, but truly, truly, you know, having, I've saved all those, almost every journal nice. and every once in a while, I, you know, all my stuff's in storage right now. I live in a fully furnished place, so yeah. I didn't need to bring anything. But whenever I move or whenever I, change storage locations, I'll dig back through those old things and just see, you know, what was I writing when I was 16 years old, right, in high school? Or yeah. what, was it, what, what was my journal look like before there was Facebook when I was like cutting out pictures and taping them onto a piece of paper and saying, hey, this was the night we did X, Y, and Z. Yeah. 
So it's cool to, to glimpse back and actually see that, even if it's not a note to my present self. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was just, I really did that recently with, uh, actually my wife and I just sat down and we went back through my Facebook feed, which is essentially like a journal of my life, you know, and what I was saying and what I was talking about and what pictures I was sharing and to see that progression from, you know, 2004, whenever I started, I got on Facebook pretty early and wow. that was really cool too. And, and I'm realizing that today's kids growing up are pretty much have an automatic journal. I mean, if they stay on social media or they can look back through their Twitter feed, you know, to 20 years before or something ridiculous, that would just be crazy. Yes. I, I, whenever I want to trip myself out, I think about what it's going to be like for people that grow up with the things that we have now as their baseline, as their experience of life, constant connection, mm -hmm. you know, um, just all, all of it with tech, centered around technology. Because yeah. I feel like I, you know, I'm 33 and I've got to be sort of the last generation that grew up as the internet was emerging and becoming, you know, more and more mainstream and, and then an integral part of life. And now it's just there, right? It's, you don't have a 2400 dial-up modem that you know, you just turn yeah. on your phone and you're connected to the internet. Right. Yeah. So, so it's hard to imagine what uh, what people that are you know 15 or 18 year olds now will be like in 15 years, having grown up with this as their baseline experience of connectivity in the world. Yeah. You know, if you really want to trip yourself out too, you can just consider the fact that what we're saying right now in this recording could literally last for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can, consider that, like consider people in the, in like, in like 1400 recording something that, and then today we listen to it because they, we would, if they actually recorded it. That, that's so the merit. That's, that's what I love. Years, this could be yeah. somebody that could listening to what we're saying right now. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Uh, it, it's sort of like the Marco Polo of like, who would, would he ever have thought that somebody 700 years later would read his travel logs? Right, right. Yeah, and, it's and hard it's to like, imagine that, that you could even conceive that that would happen. And I don't imagine that, you know, this show will be popular in 600 years, but I know <laughs> that I'll probably have a relative that would be interested in what, you know, his her great 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 grandfather was up to assuming i have kids <laughs> i guess i have to have kids for that huh but um you know that would be fascinating to to just be able to pull up some audio from your like distant relative and be like oh that was look at that like grandpa dave was up there in uh bali <laughs> recording some audio it's crazy uh, anyways that is the trip yeah we'll think about that next time you're creative you're blocked around creativity that this is just gonna last <laughs> for a thousand years and then no big deal yeah, no pressure. Yeah. Just, just, yeah. Yeah, that's really funny. Um, well, Jesse, it's been a pleasure, man, having you on the show, and thanks for taking the time and talking about and uh, giving us all your secrets, man. That was, I really, uh, I'm totally going to use um, the audio thing, and I'm really going to explore that because that sounds fantastic. So thanks for sharing that. Love it. Yeah, thanks, man. This is definitely one of the more fascinating conversations I've had recently. So appreciate you inviting me onto the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, and I'm going to post links to all the stuff we talked about and uh, your website and ways to contact you um, at darkenthepage.com slash 014. And people can, uh, yeah, people can check out what we talked about and, uh, and check out your, your book. When's the new book coming out? What do you think? Got a target publication date for uh, middle of May 2015. Great. So that's, uh, that's, what we're looking, that's what we're looking at. And 
Yeah, awesome. Well, look, thanks, thanks so much again, and thanks everybody that's been listening and made it this far. Uh, I hope you got something useful from this as well. Nice, I did. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of the book writing. Cheers. Thanks, man.